Welcome. You're listening to Sanseet. Where you'll find everything to do with spirituality, life lessons, holistic living, and medicine. To become your true self. We all have stories, journeys, experiences, and love. Here's your host, Erin O'Dowd. On today's show, we have Dr. Bernie Beitman, MD, a visiting professor at the University of Virginia in the Department of Psychiatry and Neurobehavior Sciences. He is the former chair of the Department of Psychiatry at the University of Missouri, Columbia. He has graduated from Yale Medical School and completed his psychiatric residency at Stanford University. He has edited two issues of Psychiatric Annuals that focuses on coincidences. He is the founder of Indisciplinary Field of Coincidences. His book is Connecting with Coincidences and his website is www.coincider.com. On this episode we discover and talk about the brain, what serendipity is, coincidences and many more. I hope you enjoy this amazing episode. Hello and welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing fine, thank you. Ah, oh, great. When did you um, discover coincidences? I began when I was uh, eight or nine, and my dog um, wasn't home when I got home from school. I asked my mother where my dog was, and his name was Snapper, and uh, she didn't know. Uh, so she said, why don't you go to the police station and see if they know. So I dutifully rode over to the police station, uh, past my elementary school across the big road, and parked my bike at the bottom of the stairs and walked up into the police station. And there was uh, a big desk and a big man sitting behind the desk. And I asked him if he had seen my dog. And he said, sorry, son, we haven't. And I started crying and went back down the stairs, got on my bike and went the wrong way home because I was had because tears filled my eyes and there walking towards me was a dog that was walking like Snapper and as I got closer it was Snapper and uh, jumped up on my legs I was really happy to see him and uh, we went home that was my first coincidence I, I didn't really think about it much except for being very glad that I found him um, I, I was a lonely boy who needed a dog and there he was. Uh, I found him, and he, or he found me, which is a better way of saying it. He uh, he took four turns to get to where we met. I only took one, and I, I I marvel at how many choices he made, and at each at each juncture, at each uh, cross street crossing, he had one of three ways to pick, and out of all four, he picked the one turn that would get him to meet me. I marvel at that, and so uh, I've had a sense of coincidences for uh, much of my life since then. Wow, and you you graduated from Yale Medical School. Did you want to do medicine? Um, I'm a nice Jewish boy, and back then, Jewish boys' mothers wanted them to become doctors or lawyers. So I wanted to become a doctor. I'm glad I did it, and I'm glad I went into psychiatry. But it was always something 
very interesting to me and has been because in medicine there are so many different things you can do from cutting up bodies to being a historian of medicine and to be able to explore new ideas like this as I am as a psychiatrist. And why psychiatry? When I was, uh, my first year of medical school, I, I, we, we did dissections of uh, cadavers. As they don't do it so much anymore. They use a computer program to do something similar. And I, I began to do a, a project with the anatomist who ran the program. And he looked at me one day and said, why are you doing this anatomy of the larynxes of rabbits when you're going to be a psychiatrist? I didn't know how he'd do that, but he was right. I, other branches of medicine didn't interest me. I was much more of a psychologist than a, a, a body doctor. It's a good combination because I'm very interested in the body and how it works, in particular the brain. Psychiatry gave me the opportunity to explore uh, a vital question of human existence, that is, the relationship between mind and brain. Wow, and did and did anything through that exploration he'd say, oh wow, I must do this or I must do that? Yeah, I've written uh, a great deal about psychotherapy. Very interested in psychotherapy and I continue to do it. And as well as learning how to do psychopharmacology. For a while I was uh, chairman of both psychiatry and neurology at the University of Missouri, so I had to learn the brain back in 1995. It was not that easy to do that because uh, there wasn't uh, the 3D videos that, are, that exist now to tell you how brains operate. I wanted to find something common between mind and brain, a kind of a common language between mind and brain. And one of the words I've come up with, uh, which is around, not just my word, but the word circuits covers both what goes on in the brain and what goes on in the mind. That's an interesting description of how to connect the brain and the body together. Yes, thank you. And through this learning and experiencing about the brain and the body, how did coincidences fit into this? I'm pausing because I haven't thought about that question. The way they uh, probably fit together is uh, an evolutionary predisposition. Of, um, and also uh, people with, I say people, animals with... Uh, smaller brains than us, but why do we pay attention to coincidences? What has been the survival value paying attention to coincidences? Um, statisticians tend to say they're all explainable by uh, probability. And a lot of and other people tend to think that uh, it's God or the universe that is producing coincidences. But why are we interested in them at all? Now, well, we're interested in that because coincidences uh, mean that something has happened. That is, usually two events, sometimes more, have come together in a surprising way that does not have an explanation, but seems to be having an explanation of some kind. So we start exploring how the two events uh, come together and how they're related. For example, um, how was it that um, lightning was followed by thunder? Well, for people who didn't understand uh, the expansion, uh, the rapid expansion of heated air causing uh, a thunderclap, uh, it seemed like a strange coincidence that could be explained by gods or something else. Once we 
figured out the the way that lightning heats the air and creates the sound, then we had a cause. But for a long time, people wondered about the cause, gave um, and their explanations until they could find out. Until we could find out what really was the relationship. So coincidences alert us to possible causal mechanisms that we might not yet have uh, understood. What is the difference between serendipity and coincidences and so on? The word coincidence is a very broad term. It's only meant to to describe circumstances in which two or more events come together in a surprising way that is not easily or possibly explained. That's all. It's a very general term. Serendipity is one form of coincidence. Synchronicity is another form of coincidence. And each of them have their own implications. Serendipity is a term invented by Hugo Walpole, an 1800s British writer and member of Parliament, who named the term after the three princes of Serendip, uh, the old name for Sri Lanka, for, uh, which was also known as Ceylon. And these three princes um, would find things that they weren't looking for, but were useful to them in their journeys. And Walpole found that he, if he ever needed anything, um, he often would find it uh, just accidentally. And, and he gave his own name to it, Walpolania, uh, but then wanted to use the, the more interesting term serendipity, which is stuck around for a while. It's a very, very nice word. So the word serendipity tends to have two meanings. One, like Walpole's, finding something that you need in a way that's surprising, or looking for one thing as the princes did and finding something else that's useful. Out of the three explanations, which do you refer the most? I don't prefer any explanation. I thought I only gave two, two explanations um, of serendipity, two different definitions. Oh, sorry, I meant, I meant two. Um, there, there is a kind of, if it's only two, then, uh, and there is the two, they both happen, and they're both under the name serendipity. And are we able to orchestrate these experiences? Why do you ask? I'm asking with uh, serendipity and coincidences, are we orchestrating these experiences to happen through um, through our minds? Well, have you had any coincidences that we could discuss in this way? None, none that I can think of. Um, would you? So you're a person in the world who has never had a coincidence. Like, nothing I can I can think of on top of my head. Well, that's fairly rare, to tell you the truth. So, uh, most people, when I talk about coincidences, have uh, a bunch of them that they can talk about, or at least one major one. I, I, I wonder why it is that you have not had any, or at least that you can remember any. So, if, when you're asking me these questions, you're asking me, them from a lack of, from a no personal experience yourself. And that, that, that makes the kinds of questions we're talking about a little different. You're, you're really outside of all this and it's kind of relatively new. What, what do you know about coincidences? What, what I'm trying to ask too. Um, well, when you say that is things that happen out of the blue, you know, that's, or things that would happen unnatural. I see. And would that be that? Would that be um, would, would that be something that you would uh, agree with or not? No, happening out of the blue uh, means uh, just some sudden event 
place. Um, it could be lightning striking a tree, uh, or somebody uh, running into your running running into you uh, in a car. Coincidences uh, are a little more defined than that. Uh, my dog was one, and I think it would be worthwhile since you're not familiar personally or uh, intellectually about coincidences if we spend a little time defining what we're talking about first. And your, your question, serendipity, is a, is a good question, a good one to start with. I, and I tried to describe two types of serendipity. Um, one, where you're looking for one thing and find something else. And there, the uh, a simple example is uh, a bunch of researchers looking at drugs for hypertension. And uh, they have these guys coming back from their regular lives reporting to them about the effects of the drug. And they, many of them keep telling the researchers that their sex life has improved. Why has their sex life improved? Because they're able to uh, have and maintain erections more easily. Well, that drug turned out to be now called Viagra. The researchers were looking for an antihypertensive drug and found an erectile dysfunction drug. So then they were looking for one thing and found another. Uh, there are other times when people kind of know what they're looking for, but they don't know where to find it or how to go about getting to it. So take the situation of a man and a woman house hunting. She's not happy with the house they're in. And they don't have any other alternatives. They didn't find another house. So they both go to the bank to uh, just see if their credit is any good. And they're able, they would be able to get a loan if they had a house, but they don't have a house. Going back to their the house that they're in, which they could buy uh, if they wanted to, the husband impulsively decides to go a different way home. And as they go down this different street, they see a woman coming out of her house, putting a for sale sign in front of the house. And they stop and look at the house, and it turns out to be just the house that she particularly wanted. And that was serendipity. They were looking for something. They kind of knew what they were looking for. And he took a wrong turn, and there it was. Like, the wrong turn he took was by impulse, not by any kind of planning. So those are two types of serendipity. Does that make sense to you? It does. It makes sense, indeed. How, how does the brain know these aspects? That is a very interesting question. You asked, do we have anything to do with creating these coincidences? And my theory is that we do. What made him impulsively take a different way home? I think we, we have in us a, uh, what I call a human GPS capacity. That is the ability to find our way to places, people, and things that we need without knowing how we got there. And such events are often characterized by, I felt like doing something, as this husband did, he felt like going a different way this time. What's also funny is that it's not just 
the husband involved. It's the woman who put the uh, sign out. So she and he timed their meeting just perfectly. And it's it's possible that uh, she also knew when a good time to put the sign out was because it was a dance involved two people, not just one. So these are my hypotheses, and it turns out that there is a part of the brain near the hippocampus that has been called the human GPS of the brain. And it's the part of the brain that um, tells us where we are in three-dimensional space. Uh, There are are cells in it called grid cells and place cells, and these grid cells and place cells define where we are in three-dimensional space. What these this part of the brain doesn't tell us is how we get to new places, places we haven't been, the way this guy ended up going down a different road to get to his house at that time. What made him do it and how did he know which wrong way to go? How did my dog know which wrong way to go to find me? We don't have answers for that, but I'm posing the question that there are possible answers and it would be useful for science to figure out a way to understand how we do that. Do you think this is pre-programmed in the subconscious? Something's pre-programmed and something isn't. The ability to do it is pre-programmed, but the application has to be something in the present. Is the brain able to do other things that we don't know about um, regarding uh, GPS, um, meditation to bring us into higher planes, all that kind of stuff? I think so. Do you believe uh, that human beings have telepathic capacity? Um, I do, do you? Yes. Yeah. Have you had telepathic experiences? I don't think so. Nothing that I'm aware of. Well, uh, te- telepathy uh, is uh, another um, subset, another form of coincidences. And I'll give you a, an example. The original meaning of telepathy comes from the word telos, uh, meaning distance, uh, and pathy meaning feeling. So telepathy was a, uh, a word to describe feeling usually the pain of another at a distance, which meant somebody was in some kind of difficulty in one place and the other person felt that pain somewhere else. I mean, within a different place and felt the other person's pain. So somebody might be having uh, a heart attack um, uh, and his wife is at a, somebody else's house and suddenly, suddenly she gets the feeling that there's something wrong with her husband and runs home and is able to uh, call an ambulance to help him. And these are not uncommon experiences, remarkably. Psychiatrist Ian Stevenson has uh, authored a book called Telepathic Impressions in which he reviews some 200 cases like this. I've used, I've, I've coined the term simultaneity for feeling the pain uh, of someone else at a distance because telepathy has come to be more associated with thoughts being transmitted rather than feelings being transmitted. So we're connecting into energies and areas that uh, make us decide to do these things then? Yeah, uh, that's right. I, I, probably more often, and I'm not sure about it more often, but probably, uh, someone feels the pain of someone and doesn't know where that pain is coming from, does not know who is suffering and does not know the need to go there. 
uh, it's a subset of the, of the traumatherapy experiences where people actually know who's experiencing the pain as this woman did and go do something about it. And that variable is very important. Sometimes, uh, as there are many stories, that uh, a daughter who's in a, is many, many miles away from her mother and her mother is suddenly becomes sick and the daughter becomes sick, but the daughter doesn't find out that the mother is sick and dying until she gets communication the next day about it. You, you're an author. What made you become an author? Uh, when I was in 11th grade, I had a girlfriend uh, named Miranda, and I thought she didn't like me or I didn't know whether she liked me or not. And uh, I started uh, writing about how she felt, how I felt about her. And the way I got that idea was from uh, reading the diary of Anne Frank, because Anne Frank told me through her diary that paper is patient. Paper is patient. You can say anything and the paper will just absorb it. So I wrote about Miranda and um, my tears stained the pages of what I was writing. And I found a relief being able to write. And I wrote about my feelings, usually about girls, for many years after that, uh, until I started writing my first book. And then I gave up the diary form. Your first book, tell us a bit about that. My first book was about psychotherapy. It took me 17 years to write it. I tried to be able to define the underlying characteristics that make different psychotherapies similar. Um, what are the underlying factors or structures that define psychotherapy. And my book uh, called uh, The Structure of Individual Psychotherapy, because uh, I thought maybe I had been able to define that structure pretty well. And after that, I wrote academic papers uh, and edited academic books. This coincidence book, Connecting with Coincidence, is my first uh, general public book. In Rewriting those structures of psychotherapy, were you able to discover something or was it just the same information that you were, were learning at the same time? If making things simple is uh, discovering new information, I discovered new information. As with coincidences, people use very general terms that don't define them uh, in psychotherapy. And all I wanted to do is define psychotherapy as uh, a relationship between two people that goes in stages, and the stages are engagement, pattern search, change, and termination, and that each stage has an objective, and most, it's not all psychotherapies move through these stages with those objectives. Coincidence is uh, the term that has generally been used is synchronicity, and synchronicity is a, also a very broad term now. A lot of different ideas are put under the synchronicity. And if anybody of your listeners wants to know a little bit more about some of how I think about this, they can go to my website, which is coincider.com, spelled C-O-I-N-C-I-D-E-R.com. And the reason I use that term is because coincider sounds like someone on the inside with other people and also refers to people who tend to experience a lot of coincidence. And if anyone wants to see how sensitive they are to coincidences. Uh, on that website, there's a survey called the Weird Coincidence Survey. And this Weird Coincidence Survey is uh, a standardized, reliable 
ballot questionnaire that will tell you just uh, something about how sensitive you are to coincidences, how, how frequently you tend to see them. Most people tend to know the answer to that, but it's fun to take the, it's fun to take the test or take the quiz. <laughs> also, a reference to my book that is there, which can be purchased on Amazon and a lot of different other places. And what I've tried to do with all of this is um, get away from synchronicity as an umbrella term and use coincidence as an umbrella term, just like I did with psychotherapy, and then try to define the underlying elements that characterize different kinds of coincidences. The trouble with uh, the way people have thought about coincidences up until now is they tend to have one name, synchronicity, uh, and one cause. And that cause, as I mentioned, could be random or probability or uh, God or universe or mystery. Those are the general answers. But there are different kinds of coincidences and there are different explanations for different kinds of coincidences. And I'm trying to develop a taxonomy that helps us define differences and what the categories are that make up the differences. Wow, amazing. And you guys frustrated when people tell you if it's a mystery or if it's God or universe towards this term? No, I don't, because there are some coincidences that I can't explain. They're just beyond what I am able to understand. And I believe there is mystery to unfold. I think there is something, um, something else going on around us that we're not aware of or we're only partially aware of. And we're not paying attention to uh, just how uh, how, just what else is going on around us? It starts with uh, five parapsychological ideas, particularly telepathy, precognition, clairvoyance. Uh, do these things happen? I think they do. And they're actually happening a lot more through technology uh, because we get the internet now. The internet allows us to be telepathic with uh, each other, allows us through uh, webcams to be clairvoyant. Um, the internet does not allow us, does not do much with predicting the future, although there's no end of people trying to predict the future. Predicting the future is a, another interesting problem that's, uh, to me, somewhat different from clairvoyance and, and uh, telepathy. But I, I, I think if we answer something about how um, telepathy, simultaneity, uh, clairvoyance, how they, how they work, then we can probably start going, expanding beyond that to how some other more mysterious coincidences take place. Are there angels or are there entities around us that are guiding us to certain actions? Sometimes I, I think so. Um, I, I, I got lost in the woods uh, one dusk. It was dark and I didn't know if I was going to be able to get out to uh, where to the trail. Uh, I made a wrong turn. And, uh, didn't know, I didn't know exactly where it was, but I knew where I wanted to go. And as I tripped and fell through thorn rose, thorny rose bushes, very thick, very hard to get through, um, I, I was almost having a sense that something was guiding me uh, through all this. Because some of the things I did seemed like not my volition. One time, a uh, rose bush kind of grabbed my ankle. And it was only, and then I got the message to uh, to stop. I was being too anxious, and I was I was trying too hard. I needed to relax more, so I just sat down 
And was that message from inside of me or was it from outside of me? It's always a question that people will ask, and I can't tell you that for sure, but my experience of it was almost as if it was from outside of me. And other people have experiences like this that they have uh, impulses or voices that seem external to themselves. And if you go to a psychiatrist and tell them that that's what you're experiencing, the psychiatrist is likely to think that you're crazy. But being a psychiatrist, uh, and I don't think I'm crazy, I think I can raise the question about how much of it is outside of me and how much of it's inside of me. As a psychiatrist, are you able to differentiate which is inside and which is outside? Uh, I can only raise the question. I can only raise the question and try to figure out ways to find an answer to it. And figure out the ways to find the answer is part of the question. So I can't, I, I think I can feel the difference, but that's not enough of an answer to the question. I, I see. And we are, we're chemicals inside us that make us who we are. And as a psychiatrist, are you able to understand the chemical aspect of the energy in the, in the person? No. Nope. I don't claim to understand the relationship between neurochemicals and uh, human energy. I think there is such a thing as human energy. I, I know there is. Uh, but just how the chemicals of the brain work with it, I don't know. We don't know how chemicals of the brain uh, contribute to people being depressed. Depression is not just a chemical imbalance. It's a better way to think about it. It's a, a problem of circuitry. Circuitry is not uh, is dysfunctional somehow. But even that isn't clear enough. The brain is a huge mystery, and anybody who thinks they understand it is the same as someone who thinks they understand quantum physics. They're mis- they're misleading themselves. And do you think we'll ever eventually understand the entire brain and what it does? Well, we're using the brain to understand the brain, and I think that's an inherent limitation. We're using our brains to understand the brain. We have to get pretty far away from our brains to be able to understand it. And I think I don't think we're going to get there. I think this is an inherent limitation to our to where we stand. Neuro behavior. How does that work? Yeah. Oh, neurobehavioral sciences. That's the name of the psychiatry department. It's called the Department of Psychiatry and Neurobehavioral Science. It is, just as the name implies, an attempt to relate the brain to behavior. And, and there are lots of ways to do that. It's just like you asked about brain energy, and that's a, that's a new subject, how you do neurochemicals and circuitry and change energy patterns. It's a very good question, but you have to understand that modern science does not accept the idea of human energy. Okay, and um, in your own personal journey, would you change anything or are you very happy with what's happened so far? I've made a lot of mistakes in my life uh, and if you don't learn from mistakes you're not living. I've hurt people and I deeply regret my ignorance having hurt people in the past and I'm, I'm sorry for uh, the injuries that I've caused people and, and maybe the patience I haven't helped as much as I might have. But I'm, I'm very happy these days. I'm finding out more about what love is and what's more than love. I'm able to make a contribution, I hope, to expanding human consciousness. I can help some patients, and it's mostly a lot of fun helping them with pills and with psychotherapy. So if, if all is well that is well, um, 
I got this nothing I want to look back at changing. And I think regret is one of the, uh, it's really a difficult thing to have to deal with because there's nothing you can do about what happened. There's no sadder word of tongue or pen than those which say might have been. That's uh, a paraphrase of a poem. And, I, I, and I, it stays with me. So your, your questionnaire is one of the, uh, that I used to be involved with, uh, regretting a lot of things. And I don't have that much anymore. If you could walk into a psychiatrist clinic tomorrow and look yourself as a client, would you look at something in, in depth or would it just be, I'm, I'm happy enough? I, I have a therapist. Uh, I do talk to my therapist. So uh, there's always more to work on. There's always more to do. If you could take one piece of information that you've learned through your, your experiences and your journey and so on, what would it be? That... Uh, at least for me, and I think many others, uh, being alive is an opportunity to keep learning. That even though I'm not in school, it's still a school of hard knocks or the school of life. Welcome to the School of Life is a song that uh, some friends of mine have done. Uh, this life is a school, and why? Uh, what are we doing? Why are we here? I don't know why we're here. I don't know who I am, uh, but these are the perplexing, fundamental existential questions that are in every person's mind, whether they're conscious of it or not. It requires, if you to ask, to ask these questions, requires uh, being able to uh, have enough food to eat and uh, enough rest, enough shelter and clothes, have a reasonable social environment to be uh, reasonably well established financially for yourself, be able to then sit back and wonder about who I am. Now, sometimes people have to do that in more dire circumstances, but without the dire circumstances, the question of who am I and why am I here uh, becomes uh, crucial. And coincidences um, are sometimes answers, helpful answers to these questions. Because sometimes coincidences reflect what's going on in our own mind. Something that happens outside of me uh, may be a mirror image of what's happening within me. And if I pay attention to what's happening outside of me, I may learn more about what's happening inside of me. There's lots of examples of that uh, that, that people will show me. Uh, I see it in my office. A colleague once told me that your problems walk into your office, and sometimes the problems my patients are confronting are similar to the problems that I am confronting. And it's quite entertaining and useful for both of us to be able to compare notes. It's mostly about the patient that we talk, but I can add my own issues uh, and my own observations to give the patient a uh, different perspective, a personal perspective of somebody that he or she knows. Wow, and anybody that's listening to this episode and they hear the word coincidences, is there a, a smaller word that they can use or something that they can identify to instead of this word? Coincidence is the smallest word I can come up with because it's so common. It's around and it's used a lot. It's not a made up word. So I can't, I can't, I can't make a smaller word for you. Oh, that's okay, cool. Is there anything else that you'd like to talk about that we haven't touched on? No, that's good.
Okay, cool. So, um, Bernie, I just want to say thank you very much for coming onto the show and uh, sharing your journey, your experiences, and your knowledge. Well, thank you very much for having me, Aaron. It was a delight. You did very well. You asked me some very good questions. Thank you very much for that. You're, you're very welcome. Thank you for your answers and your time. You're welcome. Thank you for spending the time to listen to the show. If you want to learn more, check out sandseat.com. That's S-A-N-C-I-T dot com. Join Sanseat Group on Facebook and contact us if you have any questions. Until next time, have an awesome day and rock on.